a woman trying to get some sleep is kept awake by an unsettling image. And then we travel to India to take a look at the story of a dairy farmer who wanted to maximize his profits. So he decided on a new type of livestock. Humans. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the coming weekend. It's only Wednesday, but it's never too early to plan. Let's go ahead and give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Devin Bracken. Everyone give a round of applause to Devin Bracken. Whatever vehicle we take, Devin, you are going to be in charge of. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. That also really, really helps out a lot. Devin, I'm going to turn to you, give you a little chin up. I'm going to touch your chin with my fist. Chin up, Devin. Yeah, you're having a great day. Devin, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to go up in the sky for a slow journey out to Scotland. The Dirgible is flying over the Atlantic Ocean. We see it underneath us because that's all there is to see way out there. But eventually, we see a little island out in the Europe place. We see a little island there. There's a bunch of islands. But this one in particular is called Scotland. We're going to land in the town of Fife. It's September 1997. There's a young woman laying in her bed. She's trying to get some sleep, right? Yeah, a little blinky, a little warm milk next to her. But none of those things will help, considering what's about to happen. She's sitting there in her bedroom, and she sees materialize in front of her the head of a dog. is just floating there. And she says it floats across her bedroom. The whole time, the mouth opening and closing. She's watching this phantom head float across her bedroom and then just disappear. That's the whole whole story, right? But that's one of those bizarre stories that is, the imagery is so unsettling. The imagery is so unsettling and it leaves you with so many more questions. Had she been laying in her bed and gray aliens appeared? You could tap into the mythology of alien visitation, abductions, lost time, UFOs, all of that stuff. It would make sense. If she was laying in her bedroom and she heard something scuttle underneath her bed and she looked there and she saw an emaciated naked old man (laughs) slowly fade from view. You could chalk it up to some bizarre ghost, a terrifying ghost story, but a ghost story nonetheless. And first off... You would make it so your bed didn't have anything underneath it. You would knock the legs out. Or move. Whichever is easier. Or both. But you could tap into the lore of ghosts, of phantoms, wraiths, things like that. A floating dog head that's slowly opening and closing its mouth, making no noise whatsoever. Floating across your room and then simply vanishing. You could might be able to tie it into ghosts, but it's a bit of a stretch. The, the idea of phantom dogs have been around for a long time. But they're not dog heads. It's always the black dog that's walking around. 
patrolling the cemetery, protecting the grave of their master, a cursed creature, things like that, right? We actually have done stories about ghost dogs. This is just the head of a dog floating around your bedroom. And because it's so unexpected, it amplifies the creepy factor. A haunted doll. There's been tons of literature on haunted dolls. Ouija boards spinning out of control. All of these things, while terrifying in their own right, there's a sense of safety because we can research and go, oh, this has happened before. I've come across one other story like this doing this podcast. And I thought it was terrifying back then. That was one. I don't remember what the location was, but this couple was at a hotel and the head of a woman appeared floating in the hallway and it began screaming at them. And then it slowly faded from view, but the screaming remained and then the screaming sound faded as well. And I said at that time, that's absolutely, that's far more scary than if the woman had had its full body. She's still screaming, right? But the idea of just the disembodied head being the phantom is more unsettling. But to have a dog's head floating around your house, again, again, even if there was tons of literature about floating dog heads, it would still be unsettling. But I, ha- I can't think of another story that I've come across like this. We've had phantom dogs, and we've had heads floating down hallways. But again, they're only the one story I can think of off the top of my head. And the fact that it wasn't making any noise, the fact that even screaming is a type of expression... The idea of being trapped in a hell where you can't even cry out for help is far worse. A story that has no lore to back it up could be a dream, it could be made up, or it could be an outlier in an already creepy world. Just a reminder that although we may research the paranormal and the unexplained, There's always something else waiting to greet us behind that closed door of reality. Very, very, very unsettling imagery in that one. Devin, Devin is now hiding. He's hiding in the dirigible. It's like, come on, no, 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 it's not super scary. He's like, no, I'm afraid of dogs anyways. It's just a dog head. Who's afraid of just dog heads? He's all me. Okay, well, sorry, I should have warned you. When you supported the Patreon, you may be on an episode with the floating dog head. Devin, let's go ahead, though, and leave behind. We're going to coax him out of the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Let's hop in the Jason Jalopy. We're going to go for a ride now. You're going to drive us out to Unita Medical Supplies. Car's driving down. He's constantly looking over his shoulder. There's a floating dog head chasing us. Ah, Hit the gas. Hit the gas. Now, horror hounds out there already know that Unita Medical Supply is actually a fictional business. It was the business where the movie Return of the Living Dead took place at. Great zombie movie. Return of the Living Dead is absolutely a brilliant movie. It was written and directed by Dan O'Bannon. He wrote the first Alien movie. I think he gets slept on a lot. I think Dan O'Bannon gets slept on a lot. Return of the Living Dead is great. It's one of those movies that you watch, you enjoy. It's a total 80s punk rock gore fest. There's so many great set pieces in the movie. And it really was, you had the Dawn of the Dead, you had, you know, you had Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. This movie was more fun. It wasn't taking itself so seriously, it wasn't trying to tell a social message. It was, get away from zombies. This is the movie that started the brains, brains, that came from that movie. The 
George Romero movies were way more serious. In this one, the zombies talk. In this one, the zombies are unstoppable. If you cut off the hand, the hand will chase you. The only way to destroy a zombie is to incinerate it. If you guys have not seen Return of the Living Dead, do yourself a favor. It is a great horror movie. I dare you not to smile and wince in that movie because some of the stuff is super gory and then some of the scenes are just so spot on just funny it's just it's almost a perfect zombie movie it's different than a lot of zombie movies you've seen but it is quite brilliant and so this movie actually might have saved a bunch of people's lives so not only is it an entertaining horror movie dead rabbit recommends a return of the living dead might actually save some lives. Huge fan of the movie myself. I remember I watched it. I didn't watch it as a kid. I watched it as an adult. It looked too scary as a kid. I watched it and then I watched the director's commentary, Dan O'Bannon. There's a scene in the movie where the two guys working at Unita Medical Supplies are having a conversation. And what they do at Unita Medical Supplies is they sell body parts to like scientists, dissected dogs and things like that. Perfectly preserved. They one of those becomes one of those becomes a zombie. It's a, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. But they sell all these body parts. And at one point, Frank, who's the manager of this medical supply place, he tells a story. He goes, "You see the skeleton. You see the skull here. This is a real human skeleton. It's pretty crazy, huh?" And the new employee, Freddie, is like, "Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. That's from a human." Frank goes, "Yeah." He goes, "And you know what's weird? We get these from India, all based on trade regulations." All human skeletons must come from India. Freddy's like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's an international law. Now, I got a question for you. Look at these teeth on this skeleton. He's got all of them. Got all the teeth. When's the last time you've known someone who died with all of their teeth? He tells Freddy, I think they got farms out in India. They raise humans and then kill them just to harvest their skeletons. Freddy's like, really? And Frank's like, nah, nah, I just mess with you. And then they go on and they, they continue off their journey. It's just a small piece of dialogue. It's maybe like two minutes long in this movie. Dan O'Bannon, during the commentary, he tells this story. He goes, so, I wrote that in to the movie. He worked on Alien. He was the writer for Alien. And he said that H.R. Geiger had these immaculate human skulls that he used for anatomy purposes to design the alien and things like that. And that's when he learned this story. He learned that it is true. India had a, had, being the operative word, had a law put in place that if you wanted to buy a human skeleton, it could only come from India. And it was an international law. They were able to be the number one, the only exporter of human skeletons. He goes, I learned that from working with H.R. Geiger. And I thought in my head, how often do people die with all their teeth? Super rare. These skeletons were perfect. So he wrote that scene into the movie. He wrote that scene where the guys are saying, I bet you they harvest them. That movie came out in 1985. He goes on to explain in the commentary, in 1986, India stopped exporting skeletons. They got out of the human remains business. And now you can buy human skeletons anywhere. Any country can ship them out. India said, we don't want to be the ones who are doing it anymore. We're out of the business. Now, Dan O'Bannon says in the commentary, he goes, I'm not saying for sure that this movie <laughs> exposed the fact that they were breeding humans simply for their skeletons. 
in a country where life was so cheap, but you could get $1,000 for a human skeleton, you basically had farms where you were raising people to be perfectly healthy because you couldn't have skeletons with missing teeth. You couldn't have skeletons with broken ribs, things like that. These were supposed to be in laboratories and medical colleges. You would raise people specifically to harvest their skeleton when they were the age that was required. He says, I'm not saying for a fact that India was doing this. I do find it very coincidental that I came out with my movie in August of 1985, and in 1986, India stopped exporting skeletons. Nowadays, actually, it's incredibly hard to get a real human skeleton. I, re- I don't remember where I read this at. I remember researching this back at that time. But most skeletons nowadays are uh, fake. And if you want an authentic human skeleton, it has to be a skeleton that was exported 20 years ago. You buy it from Harvard and you buy it from this laboratory that already had it. It's very, very hard to get an actual human skeleton today because it is true. Most people don't die with all of their teeth. I don't have all of my teeth. I don't have a perfect skeleton. I mean, it's pretty dope. It gets me to where I'm going. So did Dan O'Bannon actually destroy an illicit industry by telling a theory he had in this hit zombie movie? Was it just a coincidence? Devin, let's go ahead and hop in that carpenter copter. We're flying out to India because this isn't the first time allegations like this have happened. I actually got an email last year from Gary, Gary Foster. He's a longtime listener of the show. I actually don't know if he still listens to the show. It's been a long time since he sent me this story. I found it very interesting, and it's always been in my want-to-do folder. Finally get around to it. Devin, we're bringing that carpenter copter nice and low over India. We're headed over to Garakpur. Devin, go ahead and land us at this dairy farm. It's the year 2008. We're in Garakpur, India. So we're all jumping out of the carpenter copter. We have to cover it up with some, some camouflage. We might need to make a quick getaway. Devin gives us the thumbs up. You can't even see the helicopter. So hopefully we camouflaged it too much. We hope we don't have to run back in time. We're walking up to this dairy farm. Now, back in 2008, there was a man named Papu Yadhav. He was a dairy farmer in the area. And he had like these sheds, you know, like those those silo sheds, real cheap, made of tin. And he kept all of his cows in there. It was a dairy operation. And the heat in this area was so oppressive. These cows weren't having the greatest time, and they're dumb. They're dumb as a bag of bricks, right? But even they were miserable in these metal sheds. You know who else was miserable was Papu, because he wanted more money. Who doesn't want more money? But not everyone will go to this extreme. In India, it's illegal to buy or sell blood. So like in America, you can donate your blood, you can donate your plasma. For plasma, you can actually get money for it. You can donate blood to the Red Cross, but they'll pay you for your plasma in America. I believe they'll do that in other countries, but in India, they don't. The problem is, is that you have such a high population base that you need a lot of blood. And people have something that they know someone else wants. They want to charge money for it, but legally you can't. So there's a black market for human blood. If you need an operation, because they have such a problem with their blood supply over there, if you need an operation, you actually have to find a donor to donate blood. So let's say the operation is going to take five pints of blood. You have to get someone who will donate five pints of blood, or more likely, five people who will donate a pint of blood, because that way it'll balance off how much blood you need from the blood bank, 
versus how much blood is going back into the blood bank. You have to offset your use of blood. Now, I don't know what happens if you don't know. Like, you show up at the hospital and you're like, oh, I thought I was only going to need two. <laughs> you're bleeding, you're bleeding everywhere. You're like, oh, I thought I was only going to need two pints of blood. And they're like, sorry, dude, you needed three. So we're going to keep you on the edge of death until you can make a couple phone calls, get someone down here. You need to basically offset that balance. So you have a demand for it. There is a black market for blood. And Papu knows this and he goes, okay, what's the one type of people that everyone dislikes except for drug dealers? Drug addicts. So he goes and he starts putting out, I don't know if he was putting up flyers in the area. He's like, drug addicts. And then the rest of it was all blacked out and then his phone number. But he starts recruiting drug addicts to come to his farm where he will remove your blood. Remember, this is a dairy farm, by the way. And so you'd be like laying next to a cow and the cow would be looking at you and you'd be hooked up to a machine. One bag has like a bag of milk in it and the other bag has your blood in it. He would pay you three dollars. The equivalent of three U.S. dollars for a bag of blood. Now, in India, the annual income is about $1,600 equivalent of U.S. money. So, getting paid three bucks, that's a bunch of money, dude. They said for three bucks, a drug addict can go... First off, he can, they can pronounce it right. A drug at, addict would be able to be high for a couple days. Three dollars goes a long way. So, you figure, I'll give him a pint of my blood... I get three bucks, I'll go get high, and then maybe I'll eventually sell it back. Now, in America, you have to wait 48 days between blood donation. But since you're already doing stuff illegally, you're not, who's <laughs> not worried about that? He's like, now come back in 48 days. He's counting his money. He would pay these guys three bucks for a pint. He would sell them for just common blood, just for like A positive, just the normal blood, right? 20 bucks a bag. So he's already making a huge profit. If they happen to have some sort of weird, like, let's say you were going to the hospital and you needed a special type of your half reptilian. You need that cane blood in you. You could get up to $120 a bag. So he, Papu, actually brings in a laboratory specialist so they can start testing the blood themselves. So they can start setting the prices. Originally, they were selling it all for $20 a bag. Once you get a specialist, then he can go, oh, no, this is like AB positive with a little bit of this extra stuff in it. A little bit of that secret sauce. So we can charge more money for it. Then he goes, okay, so I'm paying these drug addicts three bucks. Like, first off, I got to find them. I got to bring them here. Got to pump blood out of them. And then they leave. And then maybe I find them again, or maybe they die of a drug overdose. So I'm spending a lot of time finding people. I'm going to a lot of bus stops. I'm going to a lot of hop houses. I'm going to all this stuff. Maybe, little little idea, a <laughs> little light bulb with devil horns appears over his head. He goes, I got all of these sheds full of cows. What if I put all the cows in just a few of the sheds and then have these empty sheds and then put beds in those sheds and then I'll buy some handcuffs. So basically, after he comes up with this completely evil plan, he starts inviting the drug addicts back to his place. He's like, hey, come over. You guys know the drill. Last time you came over, I gave you three bucks. You got high for a while. We're going to do that again. But this time, I'm going to give you a comfy bed to lay in. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And then they walk in there, and there's basically handcuffed people in there. And he would handcuff these guys, hook the IV into their arm, and leave. Underneath the hot Indian sun, in a tin shed, were just rows of beds. And these drug addicts slowly leaking into these blood bags. 
which is bad enough, right? But then you also figure a couple of them are withdrawing from their drugs. Also, how is he selling bags of blood from drug addicts? They give it to some businessman. They're like, oh, your operation was a success. Also, you're now addicted to heroin. He's like, ugh. But I guess heroin would be the least of your problems. You hope you don't get like hepatitis C or something like that. But he has these rows of beds and these people are hooked up to this thing. And he's basically harvesting them for their blood. One day, this skinny dude is running through India. He's like, oh, oh, so hot. (laughs) It was hot in the shed, but it's even hotter out here somehow. And he's like running and he gets into the center of town and he's like, guys, 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 you got to help me, dude. I just had the most horrible experience, dude. I was trapped and this guy is draining my blood. (laughs) He's not Count Dracula. He's not Count Dracula, but I was trapped and this guy was draining my blood and I left a bunch of people back there. You got to help me. And everyone was like, dude, first off, you look like a drug addict. <laughs> Secondly, I'm pretty sure I've seen you around town as a drug addict. Third, you got a bunch of holes in your arm. C points one and two. We think you're a drug addict. We're not going to help you. He's like, oh, could you at least, could you at least give me a taxi ride to the police station? They're like, no, it's three miles that way. So then oh, he's running, he's running, he goes to the police station. They're like, what's up? And he's like, do I have to tell this story again? And he tells them the story again. He goes, I just got escaped from a guy who's not Count Dracula. Draining people of blood. So the cops go out there and they kick in the door and they see what I've described to you. They basically see a bunch of emaciated people laying in beds, hooked up to bags of blood. The bags are just sitting on the ground. He had 17 people in his compound when the cops kicked down the door. The one guy who escaped had been there for three years, chained to that bed, having blood drained out of him. Now, it wasn't like constant. It was, I mean, because you only have, what, 10 pints of blood in you? But he would drain the blood out of you, feed you a bit, give you a bit of water, let you get back to health. Not There's a little asterisk there. Wait for you to get to the point where he could take more blood out of you. But he definitely wasn't waiting 48 days. He was milking them like they were cattle. As the police were interviewing these survivors, they're actively looking for the laboratory specialist and Papu. They go, well, did anyone die? Did anyone die during this whole thing? And the answer is no, again, with a little asterisk, because they said that when someone was on the edge of death, Papu would try to get every last drop out of these guys. When they were on the edge of death, he would unhook them, walk them outside, give them a little sip of water, and then push them onto a bus pay the bus driver and says, take this guy, take this guy home. You have a new pet. It's like a Pokemon, but he's about to die. And he would just have him dropped off somewhere in India. It's not my problem, see. He would drain them of as much as blood as he possibly could. And then if they were going to die, he would ship them off. And nobody knows what happened to these people because they were already transient drug addicted people. So the police were never able to track down if anyone died because of this. These people had no names. They simply were dropped off. When these people were rescued, they were immediately taken to the hospital where they were given, surprise, surprise, blood transfusions. I thought it was interesting. Gary Foster noted in his email to me, he goes, I wonder how many of those patients actually got the same blood that they had donated. Because so much of it in that area was coming from this farm. He goes, I wonder... 
if they got their same donation. What if they mixed them up? The guy's like, hey, I got a little bit of you and me. And the guy's like, I got a little bit of you. They're giving each other a high five. And then their hands break apart. That was actually another thing. The doctor said these guys were so dehydrated. He goes, you could, first off, they were just gray. These people were totally gray looking. He goes, you could grab their skin and pinch it. And then it would stay there like molded clay. Now, I'm sure eventually it went away. But that would be kind of funny. You just walk up, keep pinching him. He's like, stop it, stop it. You're giving him like a funny looking face. He already has a funny looking face. He's on the edge of death. But, you know, you could give him like big old jowls. He looks like a Dick Tracy villain. Anyways, out of these 17 people, they all survived. And Papu gets arrested. He does nine months in prison for this. He kept these guys. He kept at least the one guy in captivity for three years. He does nine months in prison and gets away with it. Because when you have a country that may have been exporting human skeletons from a human skeleton farm, wouldn't you turn a blind eye to something like this? This is one of those stories that you catch the one guy who does it, but you know that the fact that this even happened gave the idea to hundreds of other people. People who never thought about going into the blood bank business would have read articles about this and go, whoa, he was paying someone $3. He was making $20 a bag from this. $17 in a country where $1,600 is the average income? And he only did nine months in prison? You know people did the risk analysis on this and decided, I could keep an operation in business for three years and do nine months in prison? If I get caught? The reason why he got caught was because the guy ran away. And the reason why the guy ran away was is because Papu accidentally left the door unlocked one day. A simple mistake uncovered a blood farm where humans were the livestock. How many of these farms exist out there today, undiscovered? How many men, women, and children are being slowly drained of their precious bodily fluids? to be sold to hospitals to save the lives of others. And even though they say it's very hard to get hold of a human skeleton today, it's not impossible if you pay the right price. Because what do you do with human livestock when you can no longer get blood out of it? You could put them on a bus and it would be somebody else's problem. Or you could move them out of the tin shed into the slaughterhouse. A human life, once full of so much promise, became a piece of meat, and now sits as a skeleton, a tool for learning, staring at the classroom through hollow, lifeless sockets. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.